Chapter Twenty Three of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three: Hope Deferred Maketh the Heart Sick. Poor David! How certainly there were two worlds, in one of which Miriam had her life. How utterly out of character with the earnest words he had to say to her were picnics and moonlight dances and all the belongings of her world how was he in a few sentences to explain to her that he did not belong to it his continued silence finally arrested miriam's attention she studied his face closely what have you been doing with yourself she asked you do not look well i don't believe you slept at all last night where did you stay i was vexed with mamma for not insisting upon your stopping with us have you a headache this morning why are you so pale you are right he said with a grave smile i did not sleep last night i watched with my friend mr rothwell who is very ill indeed and as no suitable attendant can be secured i have promised to return to him as soon as i can so the moonlight ride must be taken without me after all miriam's face flushed and her words came rapidly i am sure i cannot understand why you certainly are not a professional nurse what possible claim can the rothwells have upon your services i shall not consent to any such arrangement i assure you i planned the ride this evening with a special view to our having opportunity to visit together and i'm not going to give you up to watch with anybody i beg pardon said david you evidently do not take in the situation i went to see mr rothwell on business and found him very ill indeed and needing the sort of care that his sisters are not able to give of course i offered to stay with him until something better could be done and of course you wish me to be true to my word i do not know how i can be expected to wish any such thing your word does not always seem so precious to you does it how long is it since you promised to return on purpose to see me when you were here before and gave those new friends of yours your entire time i did not interfere although i considered myself very strangely treated but if the experience is to be repeated i warn you that you will find it difficult to make a satisfactory explanation david passed his hand wearily over his forehead and felt bewildered but kept his voice gentle indeed miriam i try to keep all my pledges i explained to you how that was and my letters have been full of regret for my long detentions but this is a very plain case a friend is ill and needs me when your cousin john was ill did it seem strange to you that i watched with him night after night it was a very different matter she said sharply john is my cousin almost my brother but the rothwells are nothing to either of us a mere business acquaintance whom you have known but a few weeks yet you plan to put his interests before mine do you call that proper treatment of me he stood before her utterly bewildered he was really too high-minded to understand her insinuations after a moment he made another attempt i must be very stupid this morning have i explained to you that mr rothwell's illness is critical and that proper professional care cannot at present be secured i came to him providentially in the very hour of his need 
and I feel sure, Miriam, that when you take in the situation, you will see that I could not do otherwise than I have. Apparently, while he talked, Miriam's mood changed. Oh, well, she said with her light laugh, do not let us quarrel. If you must be spared to turn nurse today, why, I suppose you must, though the David Holman with whom I used to be acquainted would have given up all the sick men in the country for an hour of some people's society. That is nonsense, of course. You need not look so shocked. But I am dreadfully disappointed. I release you, then, for the day, but remember that for the picnic and the dance you are engaged, and I shall take no excuse. They must find their professional nurse by that time. He was not making progress. He was even posing under false pretenses. More than the illness of a friend was keeping him from this round of fashionable amusements planned out for him. How was he to make plain to Miriam that he had reached a solemn epoch in his life, that grave sacrifices were before him, even the being shut out from his own home and his mother? Above all, how was he to tell her of the hope he had indulged that he could make her sympathize with him? clearly she was not in the mood this morning for such explanations but would she ever be ought he to wait and go away leaving her to imagine that he would carry out with her the gay programme she had arranged he arose abruptly from the seat beside her and walked the length of the pretty parlour then pushed the only substantial chair in the room in front of her and sat down well said miriam gaily you look formidable now in my grandfather's chair. Are you comfortable? You don't appear so. What is to be done next? Am I to have a sermon? He tried to smile in response to her raillery, but his words were grave enough. May I not talk to you a few minutes about that which fills my heart? If you will let me, I think I can make my position plain. In any case, it is my duty to try." Miriam, the stranger of whom you and I have spoken before, has come into my life with power. I have seen and talked with him, and have made my decision. I accept him as my friend, my teacher, my guide in all things. All that he is to do with me and for me I do not know, but I have deliberately placed myself in his hands. Henceforth there is a sense in which I belong to him, and all interests contrary to those which he plans must be put aside. This decision has already cost me much. My father is violently opposed to it all, and my home will probably be closed against me. Still, I have made my choice. These are not the words in which I had hoped to explain to you, Miriam, but others will not come at my bidding. It seemed due to you that I should speak without further delay. I know that I have hurt you, but I must not be false to myself, even to avoid giving you pain. Before you speak, let me add one sentence. I am absolutely sure that you are mistaken in your views of this stranger. You have been told many false things concerning him. You think his leadership includes interests which I do not believe it touches. If you will trust me, Miriam, I will do nothing that will involve you in notoriety or be unpleasant to the most refined and womanly ideas and I will introduce you to a friendship that is sweeter and purer than any earthly tie. Oh, the life that you and I together can live, if you will but let me show you what this thing means. May I tell you? And then he stopped abruptly. Miriam had heard all that she would. 
she drew back the hand he tried to take and pushed her chair farther from his and her voice was harder than he had ever heard it i call this strange conduct indeed the david holman i used to know was a gentleman this one has evidently adopted another code of rules than those which govern polite society it is but a short time since you of your own free will renewed the understanding that there was between us and to which i had held myself true during all the years of your illness no sooner however was this done than you began a series of bewildering acts having the right to claim at least a portion of your time i saw almost nothing of you you came to the city where my home has always been and for an entire week did not call upon me of course you were immersed in business yet it gave you opportunity to attend church daily all this i have tried to overlook and have received you as though nothing had occurred to hurt me finally you present yourself to me to report as a professional nurse engaged to attend the brother of your new friend and then pour into my ears the most astonishing statements that i ever heard from a sane man's lips you have resolved to cut yourself loose from family and respectability and follow the fortunes of an adventurer against whom i myself have warned you i have told you that i knew better than i could explain the absolute danger there was in having anything to do with that man and i hazarded political secrets of no little importance to do so all to no purpose you have actually reached the point where you dare to ask me not only to tolerate in you this senseless and insane decision but to follow you in the life to which it will lead you have taken one step too far understand now once for all you are to choose between us either cut yourself and at once free from all entanglement with this man and his friends or do not presume to think of me as a friend of yours david had partially shielded his face with his hand and sat through these angry sentences in utter silence when miriam paused for breath there was still silence for a moment then he sat erect and looked steadily at his companion miriam one word i would have chosen a different time and different words for the revelation but now it must be made i believe with all my soul that the man whom you call an adventurer is the promised saviour of the world come to us as a man among men that he may reach our inmost lives and our deepest experiences believing this could i do other than i have instantly miriam arose a curious mixture of anger and fear in her face as she said with low rapid utterance david holman the blasphemy which you have uttered is not new to me i have heard of it before i believe there are but two classes of people who make it one class are deceivers who best know themselves what they hope to gain by such folly the other class are stark raving mad and ought to be sent to lunatic asylums without further delay i know you well enough to believe that you belong to the latter class and i am afraid of you i do not say that you are insane on any other subject therefore i wait to explain that until your reason returns to you i do not want to see you again it has been a humiliation and a disgrace to have my name associated with yours since this mania took possession of you and i am resolved to endure it no longer oh david holman to think that it should have come to this then she turned and went abruptly from the room for several minutes david kept his seat 
his head bowed in his hands. He could not think that this was the end. He was sure that Miriam was not afraid of him, and had not for a moment thought him other than sane. It could not be that she had gone to stay. In a few minutes she would return to say that she had been too hard, and in a moment of passion had spoken words that she did not mean. He waited, and waited. Miriam had received him in the small back parlour, with the curtains drawn close between him and the larger room. He waited until callers came, asking for Miss Brownlee, gentlemen callers. He waited until the servant who had received their cards came back to say that she would be with them presently. Then he quietly let himself out, and walked down the street like one in a dream. Instinctively his mind went back to that dark morning when he lay on his back, and stared the awful future in the face, and believed that life meant for him just lying there and waiting for a coffin and a grave. He remembered that the fiercest agony of pain with which his soul did battle then was the giving up of Miriam Brownlee. How many times was he to be called upon to fight the same battle, bury the same hopes? It was well for him that the next few days held him so closely to grave duties and responsibilities as to afford no time for thought about his own interests. Mr. Rothwell's illness assumed a still more alarming form as the days passed. The professional nurse had been secured, but the sick man clung with the persistence of a diseased brain to David. Therefore he stayed. Certain business interests he discovered could, in the intervals of attendance upon his friend, be looked after, thus aiding both Mr. Rothwell and his father. This feature of the trouble his father could appreciate, and daily letters passed between father and son concerning the business complications resulting from the illness of the chief. Meantime, as the danger increased, the hearts of the anxious sisters began to turn more and more toward their absent friend. "'If he were only here!' was the phrase now constantly on their lips, and David echoed the wish." "'If we could but get word to him,' said Mary one morning, when their fears were at the highest, "'I am sure he would come.' "'But he went from here on account of the conspiracy against him,' reminded David. "'Would it be safe for him to return?' "'I do not know,' said Mary, simply. "'He would know. Some trusted messenger could go quietly to ask it of him, one who would hunt for him, and yet make no public inquiries.' "'Yes,' said David, after a thoughtful pause. "'I could do that. I wonder that I have not thought of it before. If I can slip away from your brother without exciting him too much, I will make the effort.' She looked the gratitude her voice could not speak. After a moment she said simply, "'I am almost sure he would come. He loves my brother.' Within an hour David was on his way. A long and perilous ride, sometimes along a mountain footpath where there was not supposed to be room for foot of horse. But David, who in his boyhood had been familiar with almost every bridle path in the country, had less difficulty in making his way than many others would have found. It was on the afternoon of the third day that Mary, watching from an upper window, came to meet his return. "'He is still living,' she said in response to David's look. Oh, Mr. Holman, did you not find him? I found him, yes. 
Is there no change in your brother, Miss Rothwell? Not for the better. I think the doctor has given up hope. Won't you tell me what he said? David waited to fasten his horse before he made answer. He seemed to dread his task. At last he turned toward her. Miss Rothwell, I have no word for you. He said nothing. I reached the village where he is stopping, just at evening, and found my friend Philip Nelson, who took me to him. He was surrounded as usual by people of the poorer class, teaching and helping them. I made my way to him at once and gave him your message. Miss Rothwell, I do not know how to tell you that he seemed to have no interest in it. He was as one who had not heard, and yet I know he heard. Perhaps you will understand, though I do not, why a strange feeling should have come upon me just then, that I must not question him. I turned away, and came back as I went, alone. "'I am afraid I understand,' said Mary Rothwell, her face very white. "'It means that my brother is to die. Oh, Mr. Holman, isn't it bitter, bitter, to have one's last hope taken away?' "'No,' said David eagerly. "'Don't say that.' He is not like any other, remember. Perhaps all the while he intends to come, and knows that he will be in time. Some such hope as that stayed with them all the next day. They took turns in watching from the eastern window the mountain footpath down which the deliverer might come. They watched in vain. At sunset of that day the struggle was over, and the idolized brother lay robed for the grave. Even then they watched the footpath down the mountain. Could they forget John Brownlee? He met them on the way to the grave, Mary Rothwell said, searching Mr. Holman's face for some answering hope to her thought. Yes, he said, and without being sent for. They had done what they could to keep him away. Don't give up hope, Miss Rothwell. Perhaps the burden was heavier because of this long-drawn-out agony of suspense and they hoped in vain. The weary hours dragged themselves away, and all those terrible last things were lived through, and the barriers of the grave closed over Mr. Rothwell's body, and in the deserted home the sisters wept alone. End of chapter 23